Hey everyone, welcome to episode 78 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan, with me as always is Ginny Wu. Hey! And Andrew Brown. Hello! And this week we're going to talk, not so much news, there wasn't really a lot in the wake of E3, but we're going to talk a lot about what we've played, we're going to talk about Swords of Ditto, Mormo's Curse, bit on Katana Zero, Darkwood, Slay the Spire, Realm Royale, uh, Last Remnant, and... What was the other one? Muse Dash. Muse Dash. Yeah. Muse Dash. You can cut that uh, long pause out there. <laughs> just leave it in for like flavor, you know. As I said, no news. So let's just get straight into uh, what we played this last week. Okay, typical week it looks like with uh, Andrew playing the most out of all of us. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's start with something you've played, Andrew. Let's talk about Darkwood. Darkwood is an indie survival game that came out last month, but I just didn't get around to playing it until this month. It caught my eye in the Nindy Direct, the last one they put out. I, I, I don't know what to make of it so far. <laughs> uh, it, it's a very dark, very bleak game. It's very monochromatic, so it makes it very difficult to really tell what anything is. Because it's played all in a top-down perspective, and... Things aren't really highlighted, so I have a hard time telling what I can really interact with until I'm literally standing right next to it and the uh, interact prompt comes up. Basically, you play as this guy who wakes up in a house in an evil forest and he has to survive against all the monsters that are living there and he's got to find a way to escape. It goes through the basic survival stuff where you spend the daytimes scavenging for supplies and then at night you've got to retreat to your house which you fortify and you got to fend off the monsters at least later on Uh, the first night you kind of just stand there while nothing happens and it's super boring but it does pick up over time i was really concerned when i was first playing it because i was playing it on my tv and it was very difficult to see things Uh, i was squinting to read text really struggling to just see anything so I could interact with the game on a basic level. And I thought, wow, this is terrible on a TV. It's got to be even worse handheld. Uh, It's actually the exact opposite. The game seems much better optimized to be played handheld. The text is bigger. Things are a little bit clearer on the screen, so you can see the things you're interacting with better. I've still barely scratched this game, so I really don't know what to make of it just yet but the more i play it the more i do like it but i continue my search for a survival game that really draws me in i, I still haven't found one mm. what about don't starve i do like don't starve but the way its goals are so spread out and like the way its goals have been added to the game after the fact like when it first mm. came out it was just a, a pure sandbox survival game and now the story that's in it and the goals in it that you can accomplish have just been stapled onto the game in patches after the fact. So uh, I, I still feel that in the way the game plays. Like when you jump into the game and don't starve, you're just dropped into a sandbox. If you want to do the actual story mode, you have to find the story mode entrance in the sandbox first. So yeah, uh, I, I do like don't starve. I just, I don't think it's everything it could be with a little more focus. That developer has another game called Oxygen Not Included, which is about surviving in space. Uh, that's out on Steam right now. I hope that gets a Switch port because I would like to look at it. But I just I don't play PC games, so it's mm-hmm. not on a format that I am interested in playing a game on. But if that came to Switch, I would definitely look at that. Cool. So uh, hopefully we'll hear more on that later if it takes hold of you and in the way some other games I know have. So let's talk about something I've played, which is uh, The Swords of Ditto Mormo's Curse. Ginny, I know you played this when it first came out. Yeah, I played it on the PC. My understanding of this is when it first came out, it was a bad game. Yep. With, with a wonderful <laughs> aesthetic. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> but it has since had a overhaul, which is where the, the subtitles come from, Mormo's Curse. They've completely revamped how everything works. This is how I came into it. I came away with pretty positive opinions. It's like a, a classic Zelda-styled roguelike. Touched on it just, just before, it's got this beautiful cartoon art style. Looks like something out of Cartoon Network. Wonderfully animated. It's got great music. 
Um, it was the art style that grabbed me uh, on the Switch store, and I sort of obsessed over it for for two weeks. I'd, I'd read some stuff online and saw the you know the initial bad reception, and that put me off for a while. And and in the end, I just thought, you know what, what the hell, I'll I'll give it a go. Uh, so the story focuses on this village or town called uh, Ditto. Uh, it's been cursed by a witch called Mormo. Uh, so the the curse is kind of twofold. So uh, if she wins, she reigns over the world with darkness uh, for like a hundred years, causing suffering to the inhabitants. But then the reign repeats, even if she's beaten. She can be beaten by a legendary hero known as the Sword of Ditto. You know, like a family ancestral line, and a hundred years later, someone from the family will take up the mantle of the the Sword of Ditto, and then we'll we'll try and beat her. Uh, and then if she is beaten, the world then will know a hundred years of peace. But every hundred years, she's she's reborn again, and the whole cycle repeats. That's where the continuing aspects between playthroughs come in. So whether you die or lose, you'll you'll keep all experience from the previous character, Aww. who's randomly generated, Lucky. and you will also be able to pick some powers that they inherit. You'll get a choice between three. God. This this sounds very different now. God. Sorry, I'm just quietly crying over here. No, continue, continue. <laughs> the gameplay loop is uh, you jumped into the world, you, you get the sword. If you want to, you can choose to try and tackle uh, Mormo's tower and try and beat her in combat at any time, but it's nigh on impossible. Instead, you have to find four dungeons. So two of them are toy dungeons. They're called toys, but it's it's basically a weapon. Sort of supplementary items that you can use that you'll then need to beat uh, like a boss tower. And then once you beat those towers, you can destroy anchors. There's two of them, and then that severely weakens Momo for the big fight in her in her dungeon. Some of the big changes from pre-patch, I believe. So it it just used to dump you in the world with a timer, which was uh, like four days or something. Yeah. And you and you had you had that time to try and level up enough to go and beat her. And if you died, your character died. You lost everything. Everything gone. Start again. You literally lost everything. <laughs> so so now what happens is if you die in the overworld you'll just wake up in your house with the same character with you know some money lost and some like a small amount of xp lost if you die in Mormo's tower that's when the permadeath comes in oh. and instead of a timer you actually have to hit a target level before you get into combat with Mormo so as soon as you hit the target level, so like the first one is is level six, that will just take you to the day where you go fight her. Now what you can do is in the twenty four hours it gives you for the final preparation time, as well as trying to level up as much as possible, you can spend one of the currencies, which is like uh, crystals, and you can spend them at a shrine, which will then uh, extend the amount of time you have to prepare. So you can actually get yourself in a position as long as you can keep earning the crystals, where you just keep extending the life on, on my first successful run i was able to like reset that 24 hours three times and going quite a few levels ahead of her which was pretty good and then even in success it skips forward 100 years and then you get a new character and you start again the combat is basically just classic zelda i, I kind of wish the player character moved a bit quicker it's very slow and plodding yeah. there's a lot of systems such as stickers which you can uh, slap on uh, some of your equipment to like increase your power or drain health from them when you hit them. There's a a bunch of weapons, not just the ones in the toy towers that you can buy. That uh, so you can sort of tailor your your character how you want. It's not all just done on on loot drops or anything. Uh, one of my favourite weapons was the kick me sign. Oh which yeah, you can slap, <laughs> slap on an enemy and then then all the other enemies start attacking them. What? Yeah, it's funny. Like it is. It, I really enjoy the art style when I played it. I just really wish I hadn't played it at, at a time where by every time you died, the game got harder because, you know, Momo would have a new reign and then so the enemies would be tougher. So once you start losing, you just basically don't stop losing because permadeath yeah. was basically on 24-7. So what you're, what you're talking about now, Andy, yeah. sounds a lot more fun. Yeah, and it's more in line with something like uh, Dead Cells, which is what I look for now in, in roguelikes. I like something persistent that I can you know, carry forward and, and maybe make things a little easier in the next run. The the one thing I will say is, although the sword retains its level, so, like, I finished the f- the first run on, like, level 8, 
Uh, the next run then carries on from there and it gives you a new target level which is typically like plus five of what the inherited level is and then all the enemy scale with you so it may as well just reset to zero there's no there's no benefit Mm. to keeping the swords level other than it just tells you how long you've been playing really because how many levels you've uh, you've acquired um so even if you die on the way to beating Momo, you're still pretty much in the same position as you are on a fresh run. But beating the game does actually provide some new challenges. So just to put it into context, the, the first character dies as part of the story. I died with the second character. I can't remember what happened. I think I died in on on the run to Momo. And then I beat it on my third one, which was like really easy because I was able to totally maximize my preparation time. Mm. When I beat Momo... Uh, she then adds a new curse to the existing curse, uh, which modifies the game slightly. So after I won, uh, in this next run that I'm, I'm currently playing, there's now an invincible enemy that stalks me around the island, uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Nemesis style. Yeah. Which um, it's tense. You can get it. You can keep your pace ahead of them, and that you know they're very slow. But it's just an extra level of challenge. I I haven't figured out if they follow you into dungeons yet because I I think I stopped after I got to the first dungeon. But overall, like I really enjoyed it. I think it was partway through my fourth run, and I want to keep playing it. I I think this would be something Andrew would like as well. Sounds like it, but I just have so many of these roguelike games, and I never finish them, so they're on a lower priority for me yeah. now, buying more of them. <laughs> but also, there is a way to apparently beat it fully, because uh, the cycle always repeats when, when you beat Momo that's unavoidable but apparently there are some conditions that are really 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 difficult where you can just end break the cycle and you know officially beat it but uh, i mm. my first playthrough took me like six to eight hours so i, I classed that as a win on my completion list so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but very good i i, I enjoyed it and uh, i'm from the sounds of it i'm just glad that i never played it in its original state yeah so, yeah <laughs> mm. I, I seem to luck out with that with roguelikes. I, I didn't tackle Dead Cells until, until that was uh, rejigged. So, yeah, quite happy with my timing on these ones. Okay, Ginny. Yeah. Uh, Last Remnant is well, a game that you have been playing. <laughs> it is a game that I have played. Thank you for pointing that one out. Um, <laughs> it is a game that I have played. It is a game that definitely feels like a relic of the last century it just kind of feels like a game that square enix were making when they weren't really quite sure what made their jrpgs click with their target audience do they know that now do they even well i mean you could you could argue that they're on the right track with adding more anthropomorphized animal human races into final fantasy 14 but <laughs> aside from that, you know, well, maybe we're not quite sure. Look at Final Fantasy fourteen when it launched, though. Oh, My yeah, gosh. that was that was a nightmare and a half. So, you know what? You're probably right. Essentially, Last Remnant plays like Final Fantasy SRPG hybrid with a story that I can't really quite make sense of, even after 20 or so hours. Um, <laughs> and it, it starts off rather confusingly. I have... Someone that I don't find out is my sister till after she gets kidnapped or something. There's a lot of angry animal people that hate me, but also cool animal people that like me. And I'm really a nobody, but I have a magic talisman. And the king is my bro. And monsters happen. And there's a big evil enemy. And that's really it. 20 hours later, I have scratched... Probably the surface of what my character's backstory is, which I assume is still just, I am a dude with a magic talisman, and I don't know why I'm Hey, Ginny, cool. Ginny, 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 Ginny. Yeah? Tell us the character's name. Oh, God, okay. His name is Rush oh, Sykes. Oh, no. <laughs> Rush <laughs> what? Sykes. Like, Syke, like, Rush Sykes. <laughs> Sake. Exactly. And like the all powerful king that he bros out with, his name is David. Like, I just <laughs> don't know what they were doing. Everyone else has cool fantasy names. Like there there are skills in this game like Omni Strike, you know, stuff that will remind you of like Faraga and Blazaga. And then there's just David and Rush Sykes, two bros, having a good time. 
you know? So... (laughs) (sighs) Sounds like the stuff Square Enix was producing that made me kind of give up on RPGs. Probably. Like, there's this one catchphrase that Rush says every time you fight something, almost every time. It's like a 90% occurrence rate. It's, let's kick some A. Because he can't say, because he can't swear. He says, let's kick some A. And this happens. Was this a game that they made in the yes. 90s and they just sat on it for a decade, basically? That's what it sounded like. This is a like. remaster. So it came out and it, everyone was just like, this game is not great. And they remastered it, like, I guess two decades later. Um, and this is basically a port of the PC remaster. Mm. That being said, the UI is great, you know, it plays well, apart from the fact that it's just really, really, really confusing. Like, the the way that you fight in this game, you basically have a bunch of troops, like, that's where the SRPG comparison comes from. You give your troops tactics at the start of each turn, and they act them out, and then the tactics organically do better or worse based on what the RNG of the enemy's tactics has been generated by. And if you do well, your morale improves as a group, and improved morale means you like do more damage and do crits and stuff. A decreased morale gives that chance to the enemy, and that's also randomly assigned based on your, your battle outcome. So it's definitely not at all like the old Final Fantasy ATB system. It feels nothing like that. It plays nothing like that. The combat's probably the best part, like managing your, your troop mm. types, managing troop positioning around the battlefield taking advantage of how enemies can be flanked or surprised, all that stuff feels really organic and nice. That combat makes 100% sense to me. Everything else in the game (laughs) makes zero sense. The character customization, the game will not explain to you. The game will say you can use multiple kinds of weapons. It won't tell you that you need to use them to level them up, like in Fire Emblem, and that you can organically learn new skills by using them in combat, but you learn different skills if you're like physically attacking an enemy as opposed to using weapon arts. The game does not explain this to you. The game does not explain why you can pick certain tactics at certain turns and others at different turns. It won't explain why when you say, use combat arts, the next one might be, oh no, what's this mysterious power? That's a tactic apparently that happens. (laughs) The game does not explain how these things occur organically. And the game doesn't explain why you should use combat arts over mystic arts because they're both different for physical attacks and are both basically both magical. We don't know. Why does HP refresh after a fight sometimes and not others? We don't know. Why do characters change classes? Oh. We're not really sure. What, what is the love stat? As a relationship connoisseur in games, I still don't know what the love stat is. I don't know what it does. You know? This would be the first thing I normally figure out. What is this thing out. you call love? So... Exactly. And it's just these things which make up the bulk of the game around the combat that make it a very frustrating experience. I I think it looks great. The cinematics, the quality is amazing for a game from basically the 90s. I'll forgive the awful English voice acting, the fact that the guy's called Rush Sykes, because sometimes, you know, you laugh at corny things. It's like watching America's Funniest Home Videos in a game. That's how I feel when I play this. I am I am the idiot getting hurt each time in this game. And it can be pretty amusing. But it's just the stuff that is around it that kind of really weighs the whole experience down for me. There's not enough combat for me to be fully engrossed in combat 24-7. Like, the fact that I have to pay attention to this other stuff or risk being, you know, used as a mop by an enemy in, like, three levels. That is what frustrates me. So if you're going to play this game, if you feel like you really, really enjoy Square Enix's old, incredibly esoteric and impenetrable RPGs, then I would look up a guide for The Last Remnant and play the game with the guide. You, you'll probably enjoy that the most. But then again, for me, that takes out the whole exploration. Like, do I know what I'm doing? Am I figuring it out? I'm doing it organically. But if you're someone that really craves that old school, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm 12 <laughs> experience with the, your first JRPG, then yeah, I would recommend The Last Remnant. It still looks great. I still think it plays fairly well, but mechanically, it's just such a bowl of soup. It's just, a, it's just mechanic soup. And that is going to be the struggle for me, really, is kind of plowing through all of that to, to get to the end of the story where I... I guess I find my sister and and wonder about things and hang out with my friend David. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the worst JRPG name is still Cathew. 
<sighs> from from Matthew. Yeah, <sighs> that that was in Ease Eight. Yeah, no, you're right. So, uh, so just just Matthew with a K. Just hell. Just yeah. just just switching the letter there. It's just nothing's worse than butts. <laughs> <laughs> What about ass Ketchum? Are you taking the mick out of my friend Bart's? <laughs> no. His imposter in the original nah. <laughs> English translation, Butts. Or his princess friend, Salsa. <laughs> oh, she's, she's still Salsa in the PlayStation version. Oh, God. Good God. No, that's canon. Good God. That, no, that's why it's that's, that's why she canon is Cerisa. Her name is Cerisa, not Salsa. <laughs> that, that was in the PlayStation version, and that that's presumably why she took on the name Ferris. But <laughs> <laughs> the other princess's name, her canon name is Tortilla. <laughs> Don't worry, I'd be making these jokes myself because I'm currently playing that game. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on to something else. Uh, Andrew, you've been checking out a Battle Royale, Realm Royale. Oh, Realm Royale. I have heard things about Realm Royale. I was hoping to play a couple of rounds before we recorded. Sorry, I didn't get a chance. But I like the idea of a Battle Royale with personality that doesn't involve towers suddenly appearing as soon as you shoot someone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's downloaded. It's ready to roll. Please tell me I'm in for a good time. Well, I've been having a really good time with it. Yeah. Uh, this is a Battle Royale game, much like Fortnite, so I'm going to spend the next little while constantly referencing Fortnite as I talk about the things that Realm Royale does that I like and the things it does that I don't like. Uh, and you can come to your own decision if you want to play this or stick with Fortnite if you are of the Battle Royale persuasion. It is a standard Battle Royale game. At its core, you start off flying through the sky, and then you jump out, and you plummet towards the ground somewhere on an island, and you have to start killing everybody around you, and the last person alive on the island wins. And there is a, a cloud of death that closes in around you and forces you into tighter and tighter space to keep the action moving and to keep all the players together. Although a few people have already expressed to me that the experience they've had is they've dropped down and then they just haven't seen anybody and then they died, <laughs> which that's what playing Battle Royale is like. You've got to get invested into it and quite often you will get into a game where uh, not a lot happens. It's not always an exciting game. It's, it's a methodical, patient game, really, which uh, I do appreciate. Realm Royale, Fortnite, both have those qualities very much in common, but Battle Royale compared to Fortnite is a much heavier game. Like when you're landing in Fortnite, you do pull out a glider that slows your descent in the last little bit. Uh, Realm Royale doesn't do that. It just sends you straight to the ground and you just slam right into it with this big impact. It's actually really satisfying. <laughs> and gunfire and movement and jumping, everything just feels so much heavier than Fortnite. It feels better to play to me. When I think back to my experience playing Fortnite last year and how... I feel playing Realm Royale right now, I, I feel like I have much better control of my character and its movement feels much more natural. And the map is probably weaker than Fortnite's though. It seems like a smaller island and things are much more densely put together. And the areas don't feel distinct. They all kind of blend together. Uh, the map is divided into three sections. There's a desert area, there's a snow area, there's a forest area, and there's towns dotted around they all feel basically the same they look superficially different but all the building designs are the same they all just kind of seem like standard medieval fantasy villages and this does lead to things where there's no like a hot zone there's nothing like the equivalent of tilted towers in fortnite which i know tilted towers just got taken out but it's the best example there's no area that everybody drops into and it's just a deathbed in a war zone. Everybody just kind of drops down wherever because everywhere is just kind of the same. Uh, it, it's a pretty bland map. It's been my biggest disappointment with the game so far. There are some interesting twists to the game design, like when you run out of hit points, you don't immediately die. You actually transform into a chicken and then you have to run around squawking and trying not to die again uh, because if you die in your chicken form then you do get removed from the map but if you can survive long enough as a chicken you actually revive and you can get a chance to fight back against the guy who's probably still chasing you 
Uh, I, I really enjoy that system. You can get completely messed up with it where you get killed in the open area and then you're basically screwed as a chicken too because there's no cover. But if you're in a dense area or if you're in a city or if you're in a forest with like a tree, you can circle around the tree, put some cover between yourself and the person attacking you. It gives you a chance to bounce back. So if you get ambushed, you're not immediately dead, which is a nice twist on the usual battle royale experience where if somebody gets the drop on you, you're probably going to immediately die. Also in comparison to Fortnite, and this, this I haven't even mentioned this yet, this is a game made by Hi-Rez Studios, and they've also produced Paladins and Smite on the platform, and they really like their mounts. Paladins has mounts, even though the game doesn't really need them, and Smite has mounts as well, and Realm Royale also has them too. They work mechanically just like they do in other high-res games. You just press your hotkey, and you mount up, and you can move as fast as you need to. Whereas like in Fortnite, if you need a vehicle, you have to find one so you can drive away. You, you basically always have your vehicle on hand, which is a really nice feeling when you need to cover a lot of ground quickly, such as when the death bubble is about to touch you. Uh, you. You feel like you have a lot more movement options as a result of that. This is a fantasy RPG that's kind of building itself off of, so it has a class system. Before you start the game, you can either play as a warrior, a hunter, and an assassin, or a mage, and which class you play as uh, determines the strengths of the special abilities that you can loot, although you can actually get any ability with any class if you want. You just may not necessarily have the innate strengths that a mage would have with mage skills if you were playing as a warrior. As you play as each class, you earn experience, which lets you take different perks. Like with every class, the first perk you get, you can get regeneration, which gives you passive regeneration of 10 hit points every few seconds. Or you can keep your default healing buff, which is to just get more healing from potions. Now, passive regeneration just always feels like a better option. So that's an interesting thing. As you get higher into the trees, the different classes have distinct abilities. They can increase the strengths of their particular powers or their particular weapons that they specialize in, and you can mix and match. Uh, I'm sure there's already a whole metagame in this that's been deconstructed, and there's a tier list and everything like that. I'm sure all these things exist. It's just the natural part of these systems existing, but I haven't looked into those yet. And the last system that really sets this apart from Fortnite and other Battle Royale games is it has a forging and a disenchanting system. Ooh. Yeah, this the centerpiece of every main area in the game is a forge, and when you find an item, and you probably don't want most of the items that you find, you can actually break them down into disenchanting cubes. And you take your disenchanting cubes to a forge, and you can actually make an item that you would rather have. You can make potions, you can make a legendary weapon, you can make a class skill, uh, but it takes time. So you have to sit at your forge and protect it and wait for your super powerful item to pop out. And like the class perks you can take with the different classes, you can actually improve your forge upgrades. You can make it so it costs fewer disenchanting cubes to forge a weapon, or you can make it so that way you're guaranteed to get a specific type of weapon that better favors your class. It's a pretty interesting system. I, I enjoy seeing it in a battle royale game, and that seems to be where a lot of the strategy lies, because that really emphasizes these forges. In Fortnite, my, my usual strategy was to drop to an outer building and just hide there and move in very slowly following the perimeter of the bubble. If I tried to do that in Realm Royale, I'm not going to be interacting with the forges, so the people I would be going up against would be much better equipped than I would be because they would be taking advantage of the forges. I, I like that system, forces a lot more conflict, and really slows down on turtling. Uh, and as Andy alluded to, this game does not have construction of Woo. any kind in it. And even though I played Fortnite for 200 hours last summer, that was what really made me decide to stop was because as much as I enjoyed many aspects of Fortnite, as an actual competitive shooter, the building stuff just annoyed the heck out of me. Realm Royale does not have any building in it. And the last comparison that I want to talk about is the Battle Pass. Now, <laughs> when uh, I played Paladins, I talked about the Battle Pass. When I played Smite, I talked about the Battle Pass. If you've heard those episodes, you probably know I talked about them at length. I, I just feel very strongly about these Battle Passes because this is where the entire value of the game comes from. If you're going to spend money on it, this is where you're spending your money. And I 
really felt like the battle passes in Paladins and Smite just didn't feel worth it. In the Hi-Rez Studios trio of games, when you buy the Battle Pass, it just gives you more rewards for playing the same game that all the free players are playing. Contrast with Fortnite, where Fortnite actually gives you new things to do when you buy the Battle Pass, which I really appreciated. And that was what really kept me playing last summer, even though I wasn't actually enjoying the shooting mechanics that much, was all the scavenger hunts and the targeting challenges and just specific challenges to do day-to-day and week-to-week kept me coming back into the game. Even Realm Royale just doesn't have that. I would really like to see it, but this seems like a very young game, so they may be introduced later on. Uh, They may not, because Hi-Rez Studios clearly seems very comfortable with this battle pass setup based on Paladins and Smite. The current battle pass right now focuses on the eternal conflict, so it has an angels versus demons theme, and there's a special angel and or demon skin you can unlock for each of the four classes. There's a seraph skin for the mage and the succubus skin for the hunter. Those also evolve over the course of the battle pass, very similar to Fortnite. This is what really pushed the Realm Royale battle pass into acceptable territory for me here was you can actually earn enough premium currency from the Battle Pass to get the Battle Pass in the next season, which you cannot do that in Paladins or in Smite. But you can do that in Fortnite. Uh, So uh, this game feels very beholden to Fortnite in many ways. Uh, It seems to echo it a lot, not just in the fact that it's a Battle Royale game, but just even with things like that where the Battle Pass, at least right now, if you really focus on finishing it every season... You earn enough premium currency to get the Battle Pass next season without having to spend another $9 on it, and I appreciated that. That made me feel like I was being appreciated as a committed player and a returning player, even though technically I'm not actually giving them any money, so that sounds like something they should resent, (laughs) but (laughs) I just like that you can unlock things, and then the next season you can unlock more things because you've been committing to playing the game and you don't actually need to sink any more money in it to to keep getting those rewards. But having said that, the free pass is very barren in comparison to Paladins and Smite, because this game actually doesn't have loot boxes in it. Everything that you get in this is pre-dropped, again, much like Fortnite. So the Paladins and the Smite battle passes are kind of bolstered by the fact that they do have loot boxes in them, and they also have far more characters to work with, Like, Paladins has a couple dozen characters, and Smite, as I said when it launched a couple months ago, Smite has over 100 playable characters in it now. And they all have their assortment of alternate skins to play with, and all the other toys and cosmetics you can unlock to go with them as well. And I think that's largely a result of the fact that Realm Royale only has the four playable characters, basically the four different classes. So there doesn't seem to be as much to unlock so there doesn't seem to be as much sprinkled through the free pass, but the battle pass still felt worth it. It, There's a pretty good chunk of stuff to unlock in it. I was pretty happy with it. Uh, I think at the end of the day, looking at the two games from a detached perspective, not with my baggage about the building in Fortnite and how much that annoyed (laughs) me, I think Fortnite is still the better game, especially with the new things the Battle Pass adds in to do it and just the sheer number of people playing Fortnite and Fortnite's incredible ongoing live support with their constantly evolving map and rebalancing of weapons and introducing new weapons. I think Fortnite's way ahead of Realm Royale on that. But Realm Royale doesn't have building, and (laughs) it it feels better than Fortnite. It, It doesn't feel as loose and floaty as Fortnite does and that that's that's true of all of high-res studios games on the switch they, they just feel like really quality games and Fortnite has struggled from patch to patch they introduce a new major patch and suddenly the game on switch doesn't run very well there's lots of pop-in lots of slowdown lots of frame drops None of high-res games have I ever experienced that with. They are very solid, very stable games on Switch. That just really gives Realm Royale its edge, that and not 
having any construction to deal with. You know, I shoot at somebody, they don't suddenly have a wall in front of them that I have to deal with that now. <laughs> I just want to do PvP combat. I don't want to learn how to climb a tower or just deal with all the turtling that happens in Fortnite. That stuff just ruins the game for me. So Realm Royale might not be as, as well supported as Fortnite is, but it's a the kind of game I would rather be playing. So that gives it the edge. And just as a last note, as I've talked about with Paladins and Smite and Realm Royale, these are three rock-solid multiplayer games that you don't have to spend a dime on if you don't want to. They're just an excellent argument for owning a Switch if you're into these kind of games. If you've got a kid and they want to Switch, turn their attention towards these games because they, they don't have any microphones to deal with and the in-game communication is all pre-built so there's no toxicity to really deal with if i was still in in the state of mind that i was in when i was like 14 and 15 where every night i was playing combat simulator and perfect dark i would be absolutely over the moon about these games but even now as i'm older and i'm always looking for something new and i have a lot of money i can just spend on a new game every week I'm still perfectly happy to play these games, and I, I see myself coming back to Realm Royale quite a bit over the coming months, at least, because I did buy that Battle Pass, so I'm going to finish it, and we'll see what happens next season. <laughs> uh, you know you know what? Um, it's amazing to me how much I preferred like Paladins to you know the popular class shooter in Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. I think they're really good devs, to be honest, and if, if, yeah. if the shooting mechanics in this are anything similar to to paladins and i'm sure i'm gonna have a good time well this is a third person shooter and paladins is ah, first okay. person uh, yeah i didn't know that again uh they're both very solid games they both feel really good to play when you play a game and you shoot a gun and it just doesn't feel like anything i think fortnite even has that problem yeah it does in paladins and in realm royale when you shoot your gun you feel it uh, it, it has that impact and the movement just feels really good. You actually feel like you, your character is present in this world. Like Even just Realm Royale, that first time you drop down and you just smash into the ground and it really feels like your character should actually leave an impact crater. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, a really pleasing game to play. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I, I'm really happy that Realm Royale is now an alternative to Fortnite for your Battle Royale offerings on the Switch. Cool. Well, let's talk about something I've I've been playing. Uh, something else, sorry, Katana Zero, which finally uh, hit Australia mm. just last week, I think. Yeah, I I love Katana Zero. <laughs> so for those that aren't aware, it's uh, basically a side-scrolling slaughter simulator. Mm-hmm. It's a little comparable to Hotline Miami in that your job from moment to moment is to clear each screen of enemies without dying until one hit kills. The framing is really clever. You're you're like a a samurai hitman. Uh, you get sent on jobs, and when you play one, through one of the screens, you playing is thematically your character planning his strategy to get through the area. Mm. Uh, and if you die, it'll rewind VHS uh, style, saying, nope, that'll never work, and then puts you instantly back at the beginning. And then after a success, it's like, yes, that's the plan I'm going to go through, and then it replays it to you in black and white so you can see just how well you did and how refined your path through the screens have become hmm. uh, it gives gives you some tools so you can slow down time you can do a little dash without damage and combining the two gives you some neat tricks so you can uh, dash through bullets you can even hit bullets back at enemies and it becomes kind of a puzzle so getting through without dying is just a matter of banging your head against the level and figuring out how enemies will react how best to deal with like a, a room full of enemies and what they do is they they really keep freshening up that experience. So I thought it was going to be the same way all the way through. In the third mission, you need to go kill a famous DJ who is Dead Mouse, but he's he's not. It's it's someone else. <laughs> it's definitely Dead Mouse. Basically, you you have to get into the bulk of the level in a pacifist way. So you're trying to blend into the shadows. You you're pretending to dance with punters. And which sort of introduces the element of hiding in the environment as well, and not just hacking your way through. It's not the normal loop. They give you these nice little deviations from the norm, and each level generally has its thing that you need to work around or learn to deal with. I don't want to spoil it because getting around those things is is half the fun, and it's utterly, utterly thrilling when you when you nail it. 
and there's just this like awesome rhythm of like cool i'll smash through this door to take out one guy i'll throw the cleaver i just picked up to take out the distant gunman i'll slow down time to dodge roll past the gunfire and take out this one and yeah just sort of nailing the pattern through each level there is a big difficulty spike with the last three levels like it, it increases exponentially the sections become a lot longer where death can feel a little bit more grating when you you sort of towards the exit or the last couple of guys and and then you die but it's all part of that success through failure thing that apparently i've been really into for a while now (laughs) (laughs) so i I come to to love those sorts of obstacles the thing i really wanted to talk about though is i wasn't expecting there to be a story that was so core to the experience Mm. so you're talking some bioware level stuff really i'm hoping i haven't oversold that or made it sound deeper than it is but basically there's lots of things where you'll talk to characters you'll choose your responses and they can have consequences and and one of the cool mechanics is you can aggressively interrupt anyone (laughs) if you respond quick enough (laughs) can you headbutt a krogan no and you you can't punch a female journalist either so i I tried and i didn't (laughs) We're, we're a white ribbon podcast. I take that back. I take that back. For example, the the interrupting thing, I kept interrupting a, a receptionist while trying to in, infiltrate this hotel because she was kept on going on about the character's costume or outfit and, you know, asking whether it was cosplay. And because and I kept interrupting her, she got really annoyed. Uh, so when the actual meat of the mission kicked off in the background, she had called the cops oh. on me. <laughs> Good job. So, so when I came to make my escape, there's two cops in the lobby and I was forced to kill both <laughs> to get out. And then in in between, as it was loading the stuff that happens in between the missions, it informed me that she had been eliminated by my employers because of my lack of discretion. So yeah, consequences. Good job, Ninja Corrigan. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in in between some of the levels, this is where a lot of the story happens. Your your character will head to his crappy apartment. You can, like, turn on the TV to listen to the news where it correctly referenced everything that I'd done in that previous mission, including two dead cops. There's a neat little friendship that your character starts up while at home, which I won't go into because that's sort of core. And I think people should get to experience that because it's great. And then you sort of go visit your psychiatrist, oh, yeah. who is also your your mission giver. So he, he will talk about the nightmares your character has in between the missions. If you didn't follow a condition that they sometimes set to the to the line, he'll berate you for it. And then he'll give you a shot of a drug called Chrono, which is why you can do your time manipulation thing. And that's why it was initially banned in Australia, because they're they're fine with violence, but they're against drugs that enhance performance, which is an instant (laughs) ban. And I don't know how they won won that battle, but it got overturned and I was able to play it. So that was uh, nice for me. Well, it's like in E3... Did you see that they censored Lilith's middle finger in the Borderlands 3 trailer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Could pick up. That was pretty funny. Yeah, they had a black censor bar over her middle finger after, <laughs> after, what, that was like the third day of E3 and we'd seen how many people get murdered already in all these trailers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But a middle finger. No, no, no. <laughs> he will sometimes give you like a suggested condition. So sometimes it'll be like, don't kill anyone. Another one was for the DJ. It was do not talk to the DJ. He is a pathological liar. And then you get to make that choice at the time. Mm. Sometimes the story removes the choice from you because it's, you know, essential to the narrative. But in most cases, you get a choice. With the DJ situation, I had a scenario where I had failed the previous condition and they got annoyed at me. So this one, I was like, okay, I'm going to follow it. And then I went in, didn't give the DJ time to talk. It turned out if I had let him talk, I would have got some more context. A bit of a sidebar, but I I became very conscious that the game might have been acting as a commentary on the player just acting out whatever they're told and following the objective without considering the consequences or complicity, which games have tackled before with varying degrees of success. It's almost getting to be a cliche at this point. Yeah. um, Would you kindly? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I I instantly just out of spite started becoming more rebellious. Yeah. And more mm. angry as the character. So I was I, I ended up role role playing it a bit differently. I'm <laughs> sure the commentary is there, but it's not it's not the point, but it's def- definitely there to agree. Is the psychiatrist the bad guy? Well that all all depends on the things you say. <laughs> That's a yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> No, 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 no. Not necessarily, because there's there's other stuff I could have done. Like there there was a couple of times I could have ended the game early had I made different choices, extra boss fights. So there's 
there's definite replay value and going back and doing things differently but also like there's other things at play there's there's like a a fictional war that the character was in different class systems so like he's living in this uh, third district which is for war vets that they don't treat very well and yeah and a, la- a large part of it is trying to figure out who he is and what you know where he comes from and w- why he's taking this like time manipulation thing so mm. it's, it's really interesting i wasn't expecting it to be that deep i thought it was just gonna yeah. be combat game it's the impression i got <laughs> yeah same and i was really surprised with, with the outcome there so and that, that's a large part of why i loved it it's all wrapped up in this uh, beautiful 80s aesthetic as all these murder simulators are like the menus look like vhs player menus for for the youngsters that's what we used to watch movies on the rewind when you die mimics that distortion before every mission then the character will turn on a walkman which is always thumping 80s style electro music again <laughs> hotline miami style but all of the soundtrack is brilliant it's great and the the game just completely commits to this aesthetic and i was never anything else but pleased with it so uh yeah great game all around i highly recommend it i wasn't expecting it to go the places it did and yeah quite surprised okay Ginny, the last game you played muse dash Dash. what's muse dash this is a really 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 cute rhythm game it was originally i think first released as a mobile game but then a whole bunch of dlc came out and then it was released onto the pc and it doesn't at all play not to be not to stereotype mobile games but if you had said this used to be a mobile game i wouldn't have known I wouldn't have... It doesn't have that <laughs> feel to it. You know, some mobile games have that feel, and when it's a portable mobile game, you're like, oh, you know, maybe it's the UI or the way the features work. It just feels like, you know, an app store game that someone paid, I don't know, like £3 for or something. This is this is not what Muse Dash feels like. It's worth noting that Muse Dash on the Switch eShop is the version with all the DLC ever released for the game grouped into one bundle. So you've got a whole bunch of playable, customized, customizable characters, a whole bunch of, of, of new music tracks that you unlock and that are already organically available. So there's a whole heap of content. It's not got the quantity of songs that a pure rhythm game like Boaz has. But it's really, really up there in terms of its song selection variety. And it's probably one of the cheaper rhythm games on the store currently for what it gives you. So I thought that was quite interesting. But what you guys really want to know about, I guess, is what Muse Dash looks slash plays like. It's an auto runner, but you know how we had this conversation last time about auto running rhythm games. This involves combat. So you basically tap two buttons to the beat and you have to fight things that are trying to kill you. And you fight things that are either above you that you have to jump up and, and, and hit or things that are at ground level. Sometimes you have to execute combos on bigger enemies and it's all done in time to the beat of songs that are about, I don't know, like two-ish minutes long. And it is really fun. It's got two difficulties, easy and hard. <laughs> I hope they put a, a regular or a medium in there one day because the jump is pretty significant. But I would say that it's um, it's got a really, really cute anime aesthetic. You have really adorable accessories. I, I don't mean anime in like a Senran Kagura way. I mean like an anime in like a chibi style. It's just really, really well animated. All the characters have distinct animations of their own. They've all got different strengths and weaknesses. Playing as different characters actually feels different when you're in different stages because of their passives. Sometimes you can block shots easier sometimes you get more experience they all have their own flavor to them and their own fully voiced japanese vo so it's just a really fun light-hearted rhythm game and i'm really enjoying my time with it it kind of sort of bridges the gap i think on the switch between people that that like i guess the the endless runner games that adapt some sort of rhythm element to them and the really really hardcore games like uh, musics and and Boaz, which is just basically straight up how fast can your fingers go a mile a minute simulators. So this is a really nice middle ground for the both of them. I really enjoyed the concept. It's priced really well compared to, to some of those more hardcore rhythm games on the Switch. It's probably like a full $30 cheaper than Musex, something like that. And earning content, like earning characters and stuff never feels like a like, like an awful grind. I enjoy it. I recommend it if you're someone that is sort of rhythm game enthusiast light. Like you're not really quite just going to play a game to, to see how fast your fingers move or you're not someone that thinks that they're the best at tap tap revenge or something. But this has just enough to kind of keep you going and ticking along. And I like the soundtrack. It's got obviously electronic music, a lot of J-pop, J-rock. 
and sort of more modern contemporary pop music. So if you like heavy metal, this is not the game for you. It's got a great aesthetic. Like I said, it's priced well, very colorful, and I found it super engaging. So I would recommend this one for sure. Cool. And the final game we're going to talk about uh, is one that has come highly anticipated. Uh, I haven't given it a look because the whole card thing puts me off. (laughs) But Slay the Spire, you've been playing this one, Andrew? Yeah, Slay the Spire is a deck-building, tower-climbing game, and it's one of the smartest games on the Switch I've ever played, I feel, just in terms of how it's designed. I can tell a lot of thought was put into the cards that you get in this. At the bottom of the tower, you pick your character, and you can play as the Ironclad, who is this kind of hulking big guy with a giant sword, or the Silent, who is this mysterious person wrapped in a cloak and you can see that they're holding a dagger or you can play as the defect who is a wizard but is also a robot each class plays completely different from another one like seriously especially with the defect it's basically like playing a completely different game but that's also still an rpg now each character begins with the same deck every time they begin the game and that is where the game is kind of a bummer But as you climb the tower and you complete each room on each floor, you can either choose a new card or you can do a number of other activities. And this is where the strategy really comes in. Because you can not only add new cards to your deck, you can also, if you are lucky, and if you have the right resources, you can actually also remove cards from your deck. So if there's a really, really cheesy item combo that you can use but you have to rely on actually pulling the right cards from your deck to be able to use that. If you get enough of these card remove options in a row, you can actually get your deck down to just that small handful of cards that lets you use that super cheesy combo every single turn. Because when your deck like empties into your discard pile, you just reshuffle it into your hand. And there's even an achievement listed in the options menu to get your deck down to just three cards. So you can really get a system going in here if you are lucky enough to get a tower configuration that lets you do that. But that is where I'm a little more hesitant on the game is the random element. Whether or not you're going to have a good time is going to depend upon what cards you get and how many card removal options you get. And so you need to know the strategy that you want to be working towards and you need to know which cards synergize well with each other. And short of looking on Reddit threads or game facts guides, it's just a matter of playing the game over and over and over until you learn these things. And you're just going through the same rooms, you're fighting the same variety of enemies on every floor. It's divided into chapters, and I have never gotten any further than chapter 3. I don't know how much further it goes than that. But when you're in chapter 1, you're fighting the same kind of enemies. Chapter 2, you're fighting the same kind of enemies. It gets a little redundant. It helps that there are 5 item packs to unlock with each character, and every time you finish a run... Whether you die or whether you finish it, you get some points towards a total that lets you unlock the next item pack. So I'm not feeling like my time is wasted just yet, but I can already feel that completing the tower, certainly with all three of them, but even if not just one of them, is going to take me a lot longer than it will be to unlock all of their item packs. I think it's going to start wearing on me all those losses and all the similar game styles and the RNG determining to a large extent how good my deck for that run is going to be. For right now, when I still have things to unlock, it's keeping me engaged. We'll see how it goes in the long term, but if you're into deck builders or roguelikes or really, really smartly designed games... I feel like this might be a game designer's game. If you make games yourself, I think you would get the most out of this. Mm. It's a really smartly designed game, and I feel like it's totally worth the money. Nice. nice. Just one last thing I wanted to mention before we go. I finished Cadence of High Rule uh, just after we finished the last recording. I had some minor criticisms. Something that started to grate on me a bit was the uh, game auto-equipping new weapons when yeah, I was that quite sucked. settled. <laughs> um, and then lastly, it tracks uh, the game time, including suspended time. 
so it must be working on the the system oh. clock because my save file had said that I'd been playing it for 96 Jeez. hours, which was just an outright <laughs> lie. And it it was made even worse by the fact that when the credits rolled, it gives you a speed running time, which was 96 <laughs> hours. I was not happy. Good job. Yeah, but great game otherwise. Okay, guys, what are we playing in the coming weeks? That with you, Andrew. Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled is mm. out today, and I've already played some of it. Uh, sneak preview, I like it. And Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is out Tuesday, so I'm going to be playing that next week as well. Cool. Uh, I'm going to be playing uh, Chukova's Mystery Dungeon again. going to try and get that finished. I'm going to be playing My Friend Pedro. Mm. And I checked out the Fire Emblem Treehouse stuff, and it had me hankering to boot up Valkyria Chronicles 4, so I'm going to jump back into that at some point. Uh, and I am grabbing Bloodstained Ritual of the Night as well on Friday. So. Nice. Yeah. And Ginny? Cool. So I'm going to keep playing The Last Revenant, even though I sounded so unenthusiastic about it, because I really need to know what happens to my hot sister. So I'm going to keep playing The Last <laughs> Remnant. I'm playing a bit more Muse Dash, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to pick up Bloodstained as well, just because I've seen so many good things about it, and I think it's going to be... It seems totally up my alley. Thank you for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever ends up replacing iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed, or it will help us to get noticed for as long as iTunes exists. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server so you can interact with our lively Switch Focus community. And you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Check out the show notes for some links. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee, and the details are on our website. If you want to follow us individually on Twitter, Andy is at Flame Roast Toast, Ginny is at Ginny Woes, and I am at Play Critically, also streaming live at twitch.tv slash playcritically.